Now, before we go uh, further into this text, um, I'd like to pray for us and ask God to help us to read his word well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that in your word, uh, you give us uh, the bread that we need uh, to be your people. So we ask, O oh Lord, that if we look into your word again this morning, that you would feed us and nourish us and encourage us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in case you didn't realize it, uh, this weekend is the Philadelphia Marathon. Uh, anyone here run in the marathon or take part in any of the races yesterday or this morning? Oh, I got one. A couple of folks, right? Well, well there will be an estimated... 30,000 participants uh, who will eventually cross one of the finish lines, or the, the full, or the half, or the 10K or 5K routine. Uh, likewise, we've come uh, to the final sermon in our series about the life of David. First uh, Chronicles 28 through 29, the chapter that we're looking at this morning, uh, contains David's final instructions to his people. The last couple of verses in chapter 29 tell us that David's son Solomon uh, would eventually become king. Uh, and then they also give a brief overview of David's life and reign as king. Uh, and, and this is all pretty like um, standard stuff back then, right? Uh, basically, this started as kind of like, like an obituary right, that you might read in the newspaper today, right? When someone uh, passes away. Um, and all that to say that basically everything that happens before the obituary, before the, la the last section in chapter 29, um, all this stuff is like, again, David's last actions, like the very last things that David says and does, uh, you know, uh, publicly uh, to Israel. And, you know, for us, you know, we are not ancient Israel, right? Might be some news to some of us, but we're not ancient Israel, right? We are modern-day people living in Philadelphia, right? And, and so uh, to a certain degree, uh, the, the commands that, that David issued to Israel uh, do not apply to us directly, Right? There isn't a one-to-one -one correlation right, of what David says to people uh, and, what, and how we read it today. And, 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 and in some ways, like, this is true of all the Old Testament. Right? There is not a one-to-one -one correlation to what we see, you know, that of descriptions, of commands that we see in the Bible for Israel that are applied to us in the exact same way. Uh, but, but these instructions are very relevant to us this morning. Because they remind us of God's instructions to us, the modern-day 21st century church in Philadelphia. Uh, and so we're going to consider David's instructions to his people uh, in order to help us understand God's instructions to us. And we're going to do so by answering three questions, right? First, how? Uh, second, who? I'm sorry, first, what? Second, who? And third, how? Right? What, who, and how? First, what? Right? What does God want to do? Now, in, in our passage this morning, uh, David wanted to build a temple for God. Right? Verses 1 through 5 tell us that David right, gathered all the leaders of Israel together right, in one place, um, including his son Solomon, who would eventually become the next king of Israel after David passed away. Um, and when they were all gathered together, David uh, told them in verse 6 that God had chosen his son Solomon to build a temple for God. And then in verses, verse 8, David said to the other leaders that were gathered there, he said to them, Observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, 
that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And so basically, you know, by, by coupling these two things, right, the command to Solomon to build the temple and then the command to all the other leaders to, to obey God, right, David was expressing his expectation uh, for the, all the leaders right, uh, that they would obey God uh, tangibly by helping and supporting Solomon build the temple. And, and why was this whole thing so important? Right? Why was it so important for David to build the temple? Right? Well, verse 2 says that the temple will be a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, Justin reminded us uh, that the Ark was the earthly, uh, physical manifestation of God. Uh, and so basically, uh, the, the temple, if this was going to be uh, a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant, the temple then would become God's earthly dwelling place. Some people uh, might have a beach house or a mountain house or a lake house that they go to to get away from people for a while, right? God, on the other hand, had a temple where he dwelled with his people. And, and in those days, right, this was not unique to Israel, and this was not unique to Israel's God, right? Every people group in those days, right, had certain gods that they believed in or certain gods that they believed in, Right? And, and they all then had built uh, temples, right, dwelling places for their gods, right? Uh, and so since, since temples were basically houses for God, right, right, places where their gods lived and dwelled in and where they went to, to meet with their gods, then these temples, all temples, had to be uh, blinged out, right? Uh, you can't expect a god, right, to live in a, a typical uh, three-bedroom, like, West Philly row house, Right? I mean, our, our family of five, right, we, we manage, right, kind of, mostly, right? Uh, but uh, an infinitely powerful uh, cosmic being, uh, come on now, right? <laughs> that ain't happening, right? And so that's why ancient temples had to be uh, massive, uh, ornately decorated, intricately designed structures, right? These, these, these houses, these, these dwelling places had to be fit not for not only a king, but had to be fit for a god. And so it's, it's against this, 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 this cultural backdrop, right, uh, that Israel would themselves build a temple for God, right? Uh, their temple had to be suitable not just for a, a god, but for the one true living God. Uh, th their temple had to be suitable for the creator of all things, their temple had to be suitable for the sustainer of life. Their temple had to be suitable for the Alpha and the Omega. And that kind of structure would cause the people of the world to take God seriously. Right? It would give God a certain level of credibility and clout in the eyes of the world and allow the world then to see and consider, huh, maybe this is the one true living God. And anything less, right, a shabby temple, Right, one that didn't live up to that expectations, which has caused the world to dismiss God. And so this is why David wanted to build a temple that chapter 29, verses 4 and 7 through 8 tell us will be completely dripped out with gold, silver, bronze, iron, onyx, uh, marble, all kinds of precious stones and, and, and metals. Right? It was going to be an amazing structure, and, and, and it was. But as stunning as that temple would be, God would eventually build a better dwelling place in
in the church. And Ephesians 2.22 says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, the church uh, is meant to be uh, more majestic uh, and more beautiful than the temple. But instead of being made from precious metals and precious stones and, and valuable uh, materials, the church is made up of people. And, and, and that's why like, the big emphasis, the overarching emphasis in the New Testament is not on building a building, right? You know, it's not on building the, like a, an impressive, uh, ornately like, intricate, expensive uh, physical structure, but the emphasis in the New Testament is on things like evangelism and discipleship. See, evangelism is basically telling people about Jesus so that they would, 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 would confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they would be added to the church. And discipleship uh, is basically uh, helping people know Jesus more so they would beautify the church. Right? In, in other words, um, evangelism is like adding a new addition to your house. Right? Maybe a new bathroom or a new like uh, in-law ensuite or a new family room. Right? While discipleship is like getting a deep cleaning of the house. Right? Or you know, going around and fixing up the broken uh, light sockets or the outlets or you know, getting new hardwood floors. Right? It's all about people. Right? This is what we do. And as the, the, the Navy Federal commercial says, people are the mission. And this is why here at, at Renewal, uh, we emphasize both missions and CGs and community groups. Right? We want to add people to the church. Right? We want to uh, beautify and ensure that people who are already here, all so that the church will be a more majestic, more beautiful dwelling place for God. Now, it's, it's also why we emphasize church planting and, and partnering with other churches because uh, we are a church uh, both here in West Philly and in Center City, and we have a particular culture right, and, and physical limitations, and so our ability to reach people outside those, those bounds is, is limited. Right. Um, a couple of nights ago, I had to drive out to, uh, to Plymouth Meeting, right, which is like way north of here. Um, and I, I, and I, I got there at like 9.30 p.m. Uh, in order to, to pick up a stroller that I bought on uh, Facebook Marketplace. And um, as I got closer to this house, um, I started to get a little freaked out, creeped out, because um, it's so dark and so quiet and so empty right out, out there in the burbs. Um, and so I actually, I actually had to pull over and like, I did a Google search, map search of the address, and did a street view just to make sure I wasn't going to some abandoned field where some stair clothes was going to jump me and kill me. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a city boy at heart, and I can't ever imagine living in and doing ministry in a place as foreign as the suburbs. Um, and that makes me eternally grateful for churches like Renewal Mainline, um, who is ministering to people out there. <laughs> Uh, so we don't have to, so I don't have to. Um, and you know, the same is true for churches like True Vine, right, out in Cherry Hill, across the bridge, right? Uh, or churches like City Line, right, in Bala Kimwood. Uh, and for other churches that are in other places throughout our city and world. You see, different churches can reach people in different areas and from different cultures better than we can. And as every local church evangelizes and disciples, then the whole universal body of Christ, the whole universal church becomes that much more beautiful. Now this leads us to our second question. Uh, who? 
who does God want to build the church? Chapter 28, verse 1, says that the crowd that David gathered together uh, was pretty diverse. Um, it, it included government officials. It also included military commanders. But it also included household managers uh, and people who were in charge of the animals, right? Nannies and, like, uh, shepherds and farmers. It included the, the mighty men who were, in essence, like the Navy SEALs of David's army. But it also included regular soldiers, regular veterans. Uh, and, of course, then there was Solomon, right, David's son, who, again, he would one day become the king of Israel. But th on that day when he was gathered in this gathering, Solomon was probably just a young boy who was younger than anyone here. <laughs> probably wasn't even a teenager, right? And the first thing that David said to this crowd was this. He said, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. In other words, David wanted to be the one to build the temple himself. Right? This is what he aspired to. This is what he set his heart on. But God had other plans. And for all of David's flaws, which, and, and there are many, right? We spent time in, in the sermon series looking at a lot of his flaws, right? For all of his flaws, David was also pretty good at submitting to God's will. Now, again, sometimes it, it took longer than other times. And sometimes he had to be prodded or sometimes like jabbed in the ribs really hard by his wife uh, to, to do this. But he did it eventually, right? He would eventually always submit his will to God's will. And, and in this case, David accepted the fact that he would not get his heart's desire, that he would not be the one to build a temple, but instead his, his own son, who again was at that time was just a little boy, that his son would have that honor and that responsibility. Have you ever had your heart set on something and done everything you could to obtain that thing, only to have that thing taken away from you and given to someone else. How did that make you feel? Well, that feeling, that feeling was probably how David felt. But in his disappointment, in his shame, in his sadness, he, he did something very surprising. Right? He, he did not descend into a spiral of self-pity. He did not take this posture of burning it all down. Instead, he took all the things that he had prepared to build the temple himself and gave those things to Solomon. David also knew that Solomon would need plenty of help because, again, Solomon was just one person who at that time was just a very young boy, and, which is where the other leaders that were gathered there come into play. And so he invited the other people to follow his lead and to do what, whatever they could do to contribute uh, to help Solomon accomplish this task. Stanley Harawes, uh, a longtime professor at the Duke Divinity School, once said this, All Christians, by their baptism are ordained to share in Christ's work in the world. You see, it's easy for us to think that, that the work of building the church 
is a responsibility for professional Christians, right? Uh, pastors who are literally, it's our job to tell people about Jesus, right? And then maybe also, you know, it's also the responsibility of elders and women's council members and the diaconate, you know, because they have like, you know, these fancy titles in their names, right? And then, okay, okay, maybe it's also the, the, the CG leaders, uh, the worship team, the praise team, the, the welcoming team, because, you know, they have these official roles of the church, right? But as for me, as for me, I, I'm just Michael Jackson munching on popcorn, right? I'm just here for the ride. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm here for the show, right? It's easy for us to kind of think in this kind of sense. But the reality is that if you share in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection by grace through faith, then you also share in his mission in the world to build, to edify, and beautify the church. More specifically, if you are a member here at Renewal Church, God has called you here to, give, to use the gifts that he has given to you in order to make our church a more beautiful dwelling place for him. <clears throat> now maybe, <clears throat> maybe you are a a carpool karaoke star, right? Jamie out in your car, driving to work. Maybe you are the spreadsheet queen, right, at work. Maybe you uh, uh, are uh, spirit animals with Chip and Joanna Gaines. Maybe everything you make and cook in the kitchen just straight slaps. Whatever it is, whatever your gifts and talents might be, God is inviting you to use those gifts and talents here at Renewal to help build this church. Now, I don't have time to get into like, the specifics of what that might look like for every single person out here this morning, uh, but I'd be happy to do, to do that offline. You know, if you have questions on what that looks like for you, hit me up. I'd, I'd love to, to chat about that. Um, but uh, no cap when I say this. No gift or blessing, nothing that you have, right, nothing that you have is like too too unique or too different or too specialized to be used by God. Every single gift and blessing that we have can be used by God to build up this church. And Kathy Kang wrote in her book, Raise Your Voice, she said, there is something critical about speaking from a place of wholeness and uniqueness that makes my voice part of a community, but also uniquely mine. It fills in the blanks left in other stories. When more of us from different intersections and margins raise our voices, we live a fuller picture of the good news. In other words, uh, pastors, engineers, doctors, uh, the church needs them, right? The church needs them, yes. But the church also needs artists. The church also needs politicians. The church also needs community activists. The church also needs stay-at-home parents. The church needs retirees. The church needs little infants. The only qualification that we need is to have a heart like David's. Vivian Mabuni, uh, an Asian-American Christian author, wrote in her book, Open Hands, Willing Heart. She said, callings are different from our assignments. Our callings never change. They will always be to God, for God, and with God. Our assignments, on the other hand, change as our roles change. You see, like David, sometimes God's will for our lives uh, comes at odds to our own will for our lives. 
Right? Sometimes God wants us to do things or calls us to do things that our hearts are not set on. Or sometimes he takes things that our hearts are set on and gives us new callings, new assignments. Or maybe, maybe he really wanted to be on the praise team. Or maybe he really wanted to go uh, on to the mission field. But God had other plans. Right? Although God may change our specific assignments, his calling for us to build his church will never change. And so how is God calling you to use your, your varied and specific gifts, your time, your finances, to build this church? And that leads us to our final question. How? How can we build the church? Now, at, at this point, some of y'all may be giving me some serious side eye here because uh, you know, the idea of like the church being a beautiful dwelling place of God, richly ornate with people, you know, this idea right, seems like, like a fairy tale, right? Because of us. Because of us, the people who God wants to build the church are just messed up. Right? I mean, I know my sins. I know my shortcomings. And I'm constantly questioning, God, are you sure you want me to do this? And I'm sure we all feel the same way. And it, as a result of us, the broken people, building the church, we see so many things that are messed up in the church. Right? The church has a long history of infighting over petty, petty differences. The church... Uh, is famous for its backroom power plays that would make even the most corrupt politicians blush. And maybe most harmfully, the church has gotten really, really good uh, at platforming and protecting abusive leadership and of kowtowing to social and political movements rather than being bold, prophetic voices of truth. Maybe some of you here feel that this morning. Maybe as a result, you have one foot out the door, or you know, maybe you've already left altogether. And so that whole church thing, that ain't, that ain't for me. And you know, to be honest, real talk, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. All I can say to you is I'm sorry. But to paraphrase Taylor Swift, the church... Paraphrase Taylor Swift, the church, it's a diamond in God's eyes that he will polish up real nice. In other words, the ugliness that we see in the church does not, cannot take away the intrinsic beauty of the church. Instead, it just hides it under layers and layers of stuff. But God is at work to polish up this filth-covered diamond to let its beauty shine. Right, listen to what David said to Solomon in chapters 28, verse 20. He said to him, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Now, when we hear this, it sounds a bit like a contradiction, right? Because we typically associate strong and courageous people with self-starters, People who are self-sufficient, who are self-reliant, right? Jason Bourne didn't call backup, right? Um, 
Julia Roberts didn't call her friend, right? I mean, the people that we see, the heroes that we see in, in, in society and in media are all independent workers who somehow tried hard enough to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and be the heroes of their story. But the Bible tells us that true strength and courage do not come from somewhere inside us, from within, but it comes from without. Right? True strength and courage is not based on us trying harder or, or it's not based on us being more enough. It's not based on us pulling ourselves up. Instead, true strength and courage come from God. Right? Mariah Carey sings in her song, Hero. So when you feel like hope is gone, look inside you and be strong, and you will finally see the truth that a hero lies in you. And you know what? She is right. <laughs> she is right. Kind of. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> yes, a hero with the strength to carry on does, in fact, lie in us. But it ain't us. We aren't that hero. Instead, God is the hero who dwells in us. To give us the strength that we need. Or Solomon would have the strength and courage to build the temple, not if he just tried harder or worked harder to be enough, but if he looked to and relied on God, who would be faithfully present with him until the work of building the, 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 the temple was complete. And that same thing is true of us. Right in Matthew 28, just before Jesus ascended back to heaven, uh, Jesus commanded his followers to go and make disciples. Right, famous verse that you know most everyone in the church knows, and from Sunday school and VBS and all these things. Right, the Great Commission. Right, but he also said two other things that are equally, if not more, important than that command. He said, first, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and second, he said, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. A while back, uh, Oprah Winfrey right, shocked the world when she started to give out cars to every single person in her studio audience on, that, on, on one morning. Right? And as a, on a side note, I, I love memes and gifs in general, but this, this situation has become one of my all-time favorite memes and gifs. Right? You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Right? You all know what that I'm talking about? Um, it was an amazing moment, right? Amazing for the people in our inner studio audience, right? It was amazing for the people who actually received that car, right? Now, now yeah, sure, it's, it's fun for us on the outside looking in, right? And again, I, I, I love that meme. I love the, the GIF. It's hilarious. I, I, get, I get great joy out of that meme and GIF. But Oprah's generosity, as great as it was, really didn't affect the rest of us. Right? We weren't affected by that. But the opposite is true of Jesus. You see, Oprah gave away free cars while Jesus gives us new life. Oprah blessed hundreds of people who were uh, with her in one moment in history and one place in the world while Jesus abides in and with his followers forever and works in us to transform us to be more and more like him. In other words, our only hope of building the church, obeying God's commands to us, is found in God, who is faithfully present in us to empower us and strengthen us. Chinao Young, uh, who's better known as MC Jin, uh, was 19 years old when he became the first Asian American rapper to be signed by a major record label. Anyone here old enough to remember MC Jin? When I was younger, right, he was like, he was 
awesome, right? Um, uh, you know, he, he rose to fame uh, by appearing on Freestyle Fridays on BET, which I'm not even sure if that show's around anymore, uh, where, where he was not only the first Asian-American rapper on the show, but he absolutely killed it. No joke, he killed it, right? Look it up on YouTube. Like, he would demolish other, other rappers. And it was, as an Asian-American, I was so proud right, to kind of own. Plus, we shared the same last name. So I was like, yeah, Jin, you know. Felt so empowered, so encouraged uh, by him. You know, but as a result of, of this, you know, of, of absolutely killing on this show, um, he was signed by Rough Riders, right, um, this, this major record label. And then he released his first album through Rough Riders. And then his album proceeded to be a complete flop. Terrible. No joke. Look, look it up. Listen to it on Spotify. It's really not good. As a result, Rough Riders dropped him from their label. He fell into anonymity. Had to move away from America, back to Hong, to, uh, to Hong Kong to, to try to revive his career there. And, and he fell into this emotional and professional tailspin. But during that season of disappointment, failure, and shame, Jin became a Christian. And he eventually wrote a song called Hallelujah, in which he reflected on how his life had unfolded up to that point in time. And this is a line from that song. He says, how can I express the way I feel? The first word to come to my mind, hallelujah. So the word hallelujah means to praise God. But despite all that Jin Ao Young went through, uh, his unmet ex- expectations, his disappointments, his failures. At the end of the day, his posture towards God was one of praise. And that same was true of David. Right, chapter 29, verses 10 through 22 tell us that, that David, before he died, after he had experienced again the desires of his heart being rejected and taken away from him, David proceeds to praise God for his faithfulness in, and his greatness. Now, we may not be a, a dope rapper like Jin Young. We may not be a great historic king like David. But by grace through faith, we have experienced the same greatness and faithfulness of God through Jesus. And as a result, our lives, our lives of, of disappointment and suffering and sadness and redemption in the gospel, our lives are testimonies to God's love and mercy. Our gods are living proof of the beauty of God. And as God is knitting us together in this church, he is making us into a more beautiful expression of his love for the world to see. Let's pray. As we um, reflect upon what God is doing in and through us, calls us to, um, to be the church, to build the church, to be his dwelling place on earth. Let's just ask God uh, just to remind us uh, of, of just the privilege uh, of being uh, used by God for this purpose, of being testimonies to his goodness and beauty. And as we think about our buried histories and our testimonies and how God has been at work in and through us and how he's brought us to this, this, this uh, sim- the same place here at Renewal to be part of this church, 
I want us all to think about what ways are, is God asking us um, to contribute to the building of his church? You know, we all have uh, priorities. We all have different requirements, different things that, 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 um, that we need to, to divert our attention and resources and time to. But of all the things that are worth our while, is anything greater than God? Have we experienced a greater love, a greater faithfulness, a greater welcome, a greater purpose? So let's ask God to help us reveal things in our own hearts and ways uh, that we can contribute uh, to making this church be a more beautiful expression of his kingdom. mystery to us that you have called us to be your children and not only that that you've called us and you've empowered us to participate in your mission in this world and although we don't understand fully though we don't really believe it we, that we, that we are incredulous um, and blown away by by, um, by our own failings and flaws May you one-up those with the reminders of your power and faithfulness to us. Remind us that, um, that in um, weakness, we can find strength in Christ. That in inadequacy, we can find wholeness in Christ. That in um, lostness, that in um, insufficiency, that we can find all that we need in Christ. And so help us, Lord, as your people to be the people you've called us to be, to be a church that is a suitable dwelling place for you, one that testifies to the world of your goodness and mercy and welcomes them to experience that same truth. I pray this in Jesus' name.